Welcome to the Diversity Sauce Podcast from KidMath, the Kids Inclusive and Diverse Media Action Project. We're your hosts, Kabir Seth and Amy Kraft. Diversity Sauce, don't dribble a little on at the end. Bake it into your children's digital media from the beginning. Hi, everyone. We are back after a long layoff with an interview I recorded earlier this week. Um, We're working on getting back to a regular schedule, but please enjoy this fun interview I did with Sayanthani Dasgupta, and definitely check out our regular newsletter. Thanks, everybody. All right, folks. I am so honored to have Sayanthani Dasgupta on with us. She is the author of The Serpent's Secret, a fantastic middle grade novel that I just finished yesterday. Sayanthani, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. Um, so I just want to put it out there. If you guys have not read the book, this is a spoiler warning. Um, oh, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, I want to talk a lot about the book and hopefully um, we won't spoil it. I, I will try not to spoil it too much, but I do want to sort of talk about the whole book. So if you haven't read it, um, this is your spoiler <laughs> warning to, uh, to pause <laughs> the show and come back in a little while. So. Um, I want to start with the inspiration for the story. I know um, when I finished it yesterday, you have a um, a great piece of, you know, you have great parts at the end sort of talking about what inspired you to write the story and sort of where some of the characters come from. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to write this? Well, sure. I mean, there is an author's note at the end, as you say. Yeah. But um, so The Serpent's Secret is the first book. Uh, from Scholastic. It's the first book in a series called Kieran Mala and the Kingdom Beyond. And so book two, title and cover reveal shortly to happen, yes. is coming out early. About that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's coming out early 2019. But, you know, Toni Morrison has that amazing quote that I use all the time now. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you, Toni Morrison. Um, <laughs> That, you know, if there's a book you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. And I actually take that quote so much to heart. I say it to like young kids, like elementary school kids. I'll say like, listen, guys, I'm making a lot of jokes in this presentation, but remember this one message. Like it's the one serious message that I really want you to remember. If there's a book you want to read and it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. And it honestly... Um, that statement so perfectly describes why I wrote The Serpent's Secret. I wrote it for 12-year-old me. You know, I'm a Mm -hmm. daughter of Indian immigrants. I grew up in Ohio and New Jersey. And back then in the 70s, 80s, there really wasn't any, you know, immigrant daughters, brown and black faces really in the literature I was reading, in the movies I was watching. And, you know, fast forward 25, 30 years later, my kids who are now teenagers, when they were beginning to be big readers, like Mm -hmm. at seven, eight, nine years old, I kind of assumed that the situation had gotten better for them. Right, right. And they kind of turned to me and they were like, well, I guess, mom, but not in the genre we like to read. My son in particular only like to read fantasy. And uh-huh. truth be told, he's 15 now. Back, you know, a few years ago when he was seven, eight, nine, um, he was right. There was a lot more diversity in children's books in other genres, but fantasy was pretty slow to catch up. And so, right. you know, I wrote this book 
for 12-year-old me growing up in Ohio, not seeing kind of positive representations of myself around me. And I wrote it for my kids, you know, so that I really, I mean, literally wrote it for my kids. I wrote it as kind of a family project um, so that they could see themselves being heroic so that I could introduce them to these amazing stories that my grandmas would tell me on my, you know, summer vacations back to India. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I kind of honed those stories and wrote a new one and and really wrote it for myself and my kids, but in a sense for all of us and all of our kids. Right. 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 No, that's, that's fantastic. I I wanted to ask you when, um, you know, one of the things that you've mentioned before is that, you know, that you felt like sometimes, or like the story that's told about children that were born here, like you, like me, and their relationship with their parents is supposed to be this sort of like fraught relationship, or you felt like that was the story that was told, but that wasn't really, you know, that wasn't the relationship that you had with your parents. Do you feel like Kieran Mala sort of like, is that the relationship that you had with your parents? Or is is that like, was it a little bit more? Because it seems like her relationship is a, is sort of typical of the story that you hear from with, with immigrant parents. Is that yours well, as well? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, um, you know, of course, every 12-year-old thinks their parents are <laughs> funny or strange sure. or weird or, yeah. um, you know, Kieran Mala's parents are constantly kind of filling her head full of stories. Like, you right. know, she says, they're stuffing me full of food, they're stuffing me full of stories. And of course, there's a moment in the beginning of the novel where she doesn't resent it so much as like she doesn't fully appreciate it. And mm-hmm. in a sense, that, you know, there's a little... Um, you know, a switch that happens in the book where you realize that these stories that she thinks are so wild, oh, you're a princess, oh, you're from another dimension, all these stories that her parents tell her end up being true. Like, that's a spoiler. Right, right. Um, right. <laughs> and so in a sense, I wanted to, um, you know, both explore the fact that, yes, every kid in the universe thinks their parents are embarrassing at some point. Sure. But truth be told, um, you know, this wasn't, that very like fraught story of, um, you know, cultural misunderstanding and parents who are so, you know, not in the loop with what their kids are thinking and so kind of fixed in one idea of what culture means. You know, Kiermala's parents um, are the reason, their their love is entirely what propels the story. Um, Mm -hmm. It's them she has to go rescue. And it's them who kind of participate, again, spoiler alert, who (laughs) participate in the adventure at one point. And so in a sense, you know, the book is dedicated to immigrant parents, um, including my own. And so in a sense, you know, it's a love letter both to these Bengali stories I grew up with, you know, that I draw from liberally, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) to immigrant families and the fact that, um, you know, yes, we're just like everybody else in that at some point, everybody's embarrassed by their parents. But in the end, I didn't want to make this a story about cultural conflict. It was, in fact, a story about an immigrant daughter who has to accept and celebrate all the parts of herself in order to really come into her superpowers. Right, right, exactly. And that's sort of what she realizes at the end, right, when she sort of goes to battle with it. With her father, sorry, another spoiler alert. Yeah, exactly. With her bio yeah. father, yes, another spoiler right. alert. Her biological <laughs> father, yes, yeah. No, that that's um, that's well said. And I think it also sort of goes to what you've talked about before, right? Where the it, we're not talking about sort of the um, the stories that you t- typically hear about an immigrant daughter, and sort of she's a she's a superhero. She's not the sidekick. She's sort of and and I think that's what makes the story um, really really um, really great. 
one thing I wanted to ask you about, because you mentioned the Bengali folktales. In the Bengali folktales, there is a character named Karen Mala, right? You talked about this in the author's note. And there are yeah. also characters and Neil and Lal, but they don't they don't meet in like, at least the folktales you grew up with, right? They they didn't interact. No, no. So the, yeah. my three main characters are Kieran Mala, who is a 12-year-old immigrant daughter growing up in New Jersey, right, whose parents tell her she's a princess. She doesn't believe it in the beginning. Now, she is, um, you know, a character of her name does appear in traditional Bengali folktales, mm-hmm. but in a totally different sort of a story. But the heart of that story is kind of the same. Because the original Kieran Mala story is about a, a sister who has two older brothers who kind of blow her off. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you're the girl. You're the youngest. We're right. going to go off on adventures and leave you at home. And of course, in the story, what happens is the two older brothers get in a heap of trouble. And it's Kieran Mala who has to go rescue them. And so in a sense, that story appealed to me because it was about kind of, you know, a girl's yeah. Saving the day. And so that's yeah. the heart that I stayed true to, but I did get rid of her brothers. And I did, you know, combine her story with the story of these other two um, named Lal Komal and Neil Komal. Um, so I did combine her with two um, kind of separate, you know, other, you know, other characters from an entirely different folktale. Sure, sure. And then you, of course, have Tuntuni the bird, um, who is fantastic. I loved his little jokes. Um, throughout it, the uh, the puns, I've been trying to teach my five year old about puns, so um, now I have I have tons to uh, to use, which was great. Um, and of course, he's an entirely, you know, he's from an entirely different kind of tradition. The yeah. Junjuni stories are ubiquitous in Bengal. You know, this okay. kind of tailor bird who's so clever but also kind of annoying, yeah. and you know, who is more clever than the king and all of this sort of thing. So I imported right. him as well. Right. I, I, you know, I grew so my uh, family is Punjabi. So I grew up with more of the Ramayan story um, as sort of like central to the story I was told over and over again about Ram and Lakshman, sort of like, the, you know, the two brothers. And then um, later, you know, later on when, when Sita has two, two um, sons, Love and Kush. So sure. I grew up on those on these on those stories. So I had never heard sort of any of these folk tales, um, even as I was going through that. And that's why you know when I got to the author's note. Um, you know I was very excited to see that you know these were all it was all based on. I'd, I obviously heard that it was based on this um, Bengali folk tale, but I had never heard any of these characters. So that was very exciting to. Uh, oh yeah, and I mean on. the thing I find very exciting is of course you know of course you know I also grew up on mythological stories, but. Um, what I thought was exciting about these were that, you know, these Bengali folktales are shared by people of now multiple nations, right? right. So they're right. shared Bangladesh. by Bengalis yeah. in India and Bangladeshis in Bangladesh. Right. Um, because, of course, they're pre-partition stories, right? They're yeah, stories that we yeah. all shared when we were one region. And by people of multiple faiths, you know, Hindus and Muslims and mm-hmm. Buddhists and, you know, whatever else, they're Christians and atheists and everybody sure. else. So what I thought was you know, particularly in 2018, when there's so many kind of fraught divides over in South Asia, you know, throughout the world, Mm -hmm. over religion, over nationality, I thought it was really um, kind of wonderful to celebrate a group of stories that are actually shared by people of multiple nations, multiple faiths. Right, right. And the, um, I guess the, 
the bad guys, so to speak, in this uh, in this tale are the the Rakosh, you know, these sort of demon characters. And bad guys is sort of probably a bad, um, you know, it, it's not really the correct word, right? It turns out that you know Neil is is half Rakosh himself. So um, the the rhyming that they use. So at, when they talk, they sort of use this funny rhyme about talking about how they're going to catch this human and they're going to eat them and. And it, it's throughout the whole story that it was so, I, I really enjoyed that. Is, is that also in the, is, is that a piece of the folktale? Did they So entirely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. First of all, you know, these Rakush are the, you know, they're the demons that you love, right. that you love to hate. You know what I mean? Like every story is full of them. They're not always, I mean, they vary. They're different characters, but mm-hmm. they're not always like the brightest of bulbs. You know, right, they, right. they are dim sometimes, yeah. but, you know, but they're right. The rhyming is ubiquitous. Like, I don't know why they rhyme while they're trying to <laughs> chomp on people's bones, but they always do. And this is the funniest. I um, was actually, you know, the, the book is not. Uh, you know, published separately in the UK yet, but I had somebody reach out to me today on social Uh media to say like, oh, is it available? And I was looking at one of the, you know, online stores to see if it was available. And I just happened to cross a review on like a UK site of, I guess, somebody who got their hands on a book, somebody who's Bangladeshi and wrote, she wrote um, something like, or this person wrote something like, you know, oh, these are the stories I grew up with in Bangladesh. So again, case in point, (laughs) she didn't grow up in India, she grew up in Bangladesh. Right, right. Um, and she said something like, oh, and all the rhyming, it's so like uber or like ultimately Bengali. Like every, it's so Bengali. And again, because these rhymes are so um, a part of like every story everybody's grandma yeah, tells. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so, yeah, they, you know, I translated and adapted them. But the idea of like, you know, fee fi fo fum you know, they say things like, oh, you know, I'm going to curry up your bones, you right, know, right. you know, and dice up your feet. Um, but it is that kind of Jack and the Beanstalk, fee fi fo fum, I smell the blood of Englishmen, like, <laughs> you know, equivalent rhyme um, right. about how they're going to make, you know, curry from your bone marrow and that kind of yeah. thing. And it just, <laughs> I mean, when you're reading it, like it, the stuff they're saying is just so, like, it's so, like, crushing but it's so funny when i was reading i was laughing out loud and it keeps this light tone which is um which was just so fantastic speaking of sort of grandmas and the stories they tell ima is another character that they meet in um in demon land and you know that's neil's grandmother and i just really enjoy like she um she's a fantastic character and i love sort of the the part where it looks like you know she's going to eat sorry this is like spoiler after spoiler all super like, spoilers yeah, yeah <laughs> she's going to eat um Karen Mala's mom and then it like it sort of revealed that she knew the whole time that it wasn't <laughs> you know that it, that she was carrying Karen Mala she knew she wasn't carrying you know her second grandson or anything like that I just I really enjoyed her as a character and again that is inspired right from the the folk tale. she's, she's yeah. a character yeah she is yeah. absolutely a character she is Neil's grandmother in yeah. these folk tales but in the folk tales it's a little bit more black and white like they definitely do want to fool her because she's evil and she's kind of evil that's the way it is oh, okay. although she okay. does love them in her own like goofy <laughs> way like she does definitely like adore them and right. want to give them presents and kiss them and that kind of thing i just wanted to twist a little bit because of course you know, on the one hand, this is fun, fast, humorous, fantasy adventure for young people. But of right. course, like at another level, I'm talking about 
immigrants and immigrant families and things like prejudice. And mm-hmm. I wanted to, throughout this series, kind of explore the idea of monsters and heroes and sure. kind of right and, and who appears to be a monster isn't always right. a monster. Being a monster isn't about who you are or what you look like, but the choices you make every day, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, yeah, so I wanted to play with that idea. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's beautifully said. And I, I think that's sort of what I loved about all these characters, right? Is, you know, Neil, I think at the beginning, there's sort of this feeling that how he acts as a character and, you, you know, the reader can definitely pick up on the fact he's hiding something, there's something else there and sort of how the brothers interact. Um, so, you know, you, that's what makes you keep turning the pages because you really enjoy, you're trying to figure out what's happening. Going back to demon land. I thought one of the things, obviously the whole story is sort of, um, you know, follows this sort of hero's journey and what Karamala sort of goes through and what she has to realize in order to, to take on her superpower. I also thought there was like that piece when they're fooling the Rakosh there in demon land and sort of, um, pulling out things to, to show them that yes, they're really Rakosh. Uh, really reminded me of the Odyssey when, um, you know, when Odysseus has to trick the Cyclops and and um, and fools him. So I, I really enjoyed that part. Was there sort of some inspiration there, or were you sort of? How, oh, that's how entirely is... inspired. That that part <laughs> where they're where the cockroach are at the door and they're like yeah. sticking things out the door. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, oh look, these are our teeth, and they're right. you know sticking arrows at the door, <laughs> you know whatever it is. Um, you know, oh look, it's our spit, and they're throwing hot oil at the door. That's entirely. Right. That's from. <laughs> Um, you know, that's from a folktale that's in Takumar Juli, which is this grandmother's satchel, this okay. 1907 collection of many of these folktales. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, obviously a little bit adapted. I'm playing very fast and loose with most of these <laughs> stories. No, yeah, great. yeah, that's, um, that's entirely from a folktale. That's great. Um, so how long did this story sort of like, you know, I know you said it was sort of like a family project and it's sort of inspired from your son who... Um, you know, fantasy has, didn't really catch up to um, the, the diversity story. How long did this marinate and sort of how long did it take you to, to write this? You know, I had written, I had always loved these stories. So I'm a, you know, I'm a physician by training sure. and I've been in academics for about 15 years, um, you know, teaching kind of race and ethnicity studies and other things. Um, back in 1995, I had right. Translated with my mother a book yeah. of many of these tales, and I translated as a loose word, translated slash adapted. Um, but it was really for a grown-up kind of folktale reading audience. It was, mm-hmm. you know, more for like folktale lovers who are adults. Right, um, right. So I had these stories, you know, already kind of in my heart from when I would go on vacation and my grandmothers would tell me, and again I would finally see a brown-skinned hero, right? After having, you know, coming from the States where I wasn't getting that at all, this was kind of the antidote, right, to that invisibility. Um, So I had it in my heart from these stories my grandmother would tell me. And because I loved the story so much, I translated this book. And so I kind of was always carrying them around and telling my children them. It was, I want to say, 2009, 2010, that I wrote the very first draft of this book. And, mm-hmm. you know, talk about overnight success taking 10 years. Um, it really, <laughs> right? Um, it really did in my case. I took the book out. So after I wrote it, again, as a family project, you know, reading my kids' chapter, you know, just chapter by chapter as I was writing them, um, 
about 2011, I tried to take it out. I had an agent. I tried to take it out, meaning sell it to publishing houses. Yeah. I got lovely, lovely rejections, but all <laughs> rejections, all the loveliest of rejections. Um, but it didn't sell. So I, you know, kind of thought to myself, okay, well, I'll, you know, continue to work on it. I ended up writing a couple of other manuscripts, going to a bunch of, you know, writing classes and writing workshops. And Mm -hmm. I formed a critique, you know, I joined a critique group and kept writing. And I thought, you know what, even if this is just for me, that's okay. Like, even if it's just for me and my family, it's okay. But I'm going to at least try and improve my craft and see where it goes. Right. This story then, you know, I'm sure from 2011 to 2016 got adapted a few times, but it's still essentially the same story. In 2016, um, my current agent, his name is Brent Taylor. um, Mm -hmm. We got in contact through social media because some other context, because of some like writing thing that was happening online. Um, And he said to me, Hey, wait, are you the same person who wrote, this book, you know, Kieran Mala, at that point, it was called Kieran Mala and the Kingdom of Serpents. And I, I said, yeah, how do you know that? And he said, you know, in 2011, I was an intern somewhere and I had read it, you know, as an intern, and I can't believe it hasn't been published yet. May I represent you? I'm now an agent. Wow. May I you? And so it was really kind of serendipity, almost at the point where I was like, yeah, maybe this is just never going to happen for me. And like, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to be okay with it. It's at that point when I signed with my new wonderful agent who within a month had a very exciting six publishing house auction, right? Um, wow. You know, different publishing houses bidding on it. And so it kind of goes to show you like, again, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. um, don't. It, and so really, you know, my overnight success took, you know, at least 10 years. Um, <laughs> and, and in a sense, it took... Um, you know, just staying true to the project. Like I got yeah. many, many suggestions over the years mm-hmm. where people would say, hey, we love your voice, but if only this was a realistic fiction story about an immigrant daughter and her conflict with her parents. And right. I would be like, yeah, no, that's that's not the story. I grew story up in right. a family where like I didn't have, I mean, I had normal conflict like anyone right. does. It right. wasn't that deep-seated conflict with my parents. In fact, you know, I was extremely close to my parents and my parents were extremely supportive of all of my decisions. And, you know, I just wanted to say that, you know, any community isn't a singular story. And like yeah. that singular story about cultural conflict wasn't my story. And I, and I wanted, and again, the origins of the story were, um, you know, my son's love of fantasy and then eventually, you know, my daughter's as well. Um, and so I wanted to stay true to that. And in a sense, those years in between helped me clarify kind of what the kernels of the story were that I weren't, that I wasn't willing to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were some of them. Those yeah. were some of them. Yeah. That's, that is fantastic. That um, is really, really inspiring. I, I think, you know, you, you stuck to it and sort of um, figured out what the story was, was going to be and stayed true to it. That's, that's beautiful. You've, so now at, you're published, you've been visiting schools, um, what has sort of been your favorite anecdote or your favorite story feedback that you've gotten? Whether well, it doesn't even have to be at a school, maybe online. I know you're an active Twitter user. What what have you sort of um, heard from from people who've read it? Well, it's been the best part um, has been seeing my book in the hands of teachers and parents, but particularly in the hands of young readers mm-hmm. and having young readers. You know, one young reader got so inspired by Tun Tuni's silly poems 
that right. now she's apparently been writing tons of poems. And she sent <laughs> me some with pictures. They're just the dearest, like, sweetest, most, in a sense, heartbreaking thing, because that's the whole goal, right, is yeah. to inspire art in others. And that's been extremely exciting to see immigrant kids kind of from all different backgrounds, but particularly South Asian kids, get this book and say, oh my gosh, I can't put it down because it's somebody who looks like me. That's yeah. been utterly thrilling. Right. Um, yeah. So all of those, you know, oh, you know, she looks like me. Oh, this is in my language or she eats food like I do. Or she, yeah. you know, she calls her parents mom, Baba, like I do. Those moments of kind of recognition that I never got, like literally, like I loved science fiction. I loved sure. literature. I was a huge reader, but it kind of didn't love me back, right? It didn't give me the recognition I needed yeah. as a young person to see something you created, giving back, like holding up a mirror yeah. to somebody, yeah. you know, and saying, um, you know, not like it's hard to be what you can't see, right? And so like, not only is Kieran Mala brave and heroic and can save the multiverse, guess what? You're brave and heroic and you can save the multiverse. Like right. that's been the most humbling part of this whole thing, I must say. But that is absolutely fantastic. So book two is coming out early 2019 and the yes. cover reveal is, is soon. Yes. yes, cover and title reveal soon. I've been looking at some amazing sketches. My, uh, my editor, Abby McAdden, has been showing me some sketches from our, our artist, Vivian Cho, who is just amazing. And our art director is Elizabeth Perigitz Scholastic. She's been knocking it out of the park. I mean, I can't, like, the other part is, of course, having this amazing team of Scholastic kind of supporting me, um, you know, celebrating me, cheering me sure. on, and doing and doing amazing work. Like, as an author, you think it's just you, but, like, then right. you realize, oh, no, wait a minute, it's the editor, it's the art, it's the marketing, it's the support from the publishing house. And so all of that has been just an incredible gift as well. Wow. That is, that's fantastic. I'm so looking forward to the cover because book one, it will be tough to top. Book one was, was fantastic, the cover. Isn't it awesome? The yeah. Kursan Combat Boots? It's, yeah. oh, I love it. <laughs> it's so good. Thank you so much, Shayanthani. Thank you so much for for coming on. Well, thank you for not only having me, but for having this podcast and, um, you know, kind of championing diversity in uh, children's media. It's, you know, incredibly appreciated this work. Thank you. We will definitely have you on when book two launches. Hooray. I'd be delighted. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. This episode of Diversity Sauce is sponsored by the Joan Gans Cooney Center. Music is by Kamala Shankaram. Learn more about KidMap at joinkidmap.org. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at JoinKidMap. Thanks for listening.
This episode of Diversity Sauce is sponsored by the Joan Gans Cooney Center. Music is by Kamala Shankaram. Learn more about KidMap at joinkidmap.org. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at JoinKidMap. Thanks for listening.